You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Daniel Gartenberg, PhD. Uh, he's the founder, uh, he's, a, well, he's a sleep scientist, first of all, and he's the creator of uh, Sonic Sleep, sonicsleepcoach.com. Uh, it's an app that uh, you know works with people to help improve their sleep. We'll get into the details of it, and uh, Daniel, thank you for coming. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so tell me, uh, you know, maybe some people think it's odd, but why become a sleep scientist? What uh, got you into it? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, it all started actually like 10 years ago. Um, I was a psychologist. Both my parents were you know, studying psychology in an undergrad program. And I always just wanted to, you know, help people in a more massive way. Like my dad is a doctor and my mom is a nurse. And I just saw a lot of issues with the, you know, healthcare system that was based on illness. And I was really focused on, you know, changing the structure of healthcare. Um, and I saw that sleep was actually the human behavior that we did the most of. And I was sort of inspired by this idea, if you could just improve that behavior, even a small amount, it would have like a massive impact on society. So I think what attracted me more than anything else is the scope of the idea. And then it ended up aligning well with a lot of my interests in like neuroscience and artificial intelligence um, and basically behavioral science, how human how humans can, you know, change their behaviors for the better. I was big into the quantified self movement back in the day. So sleep is okay. sort of a unique thing that's on the intersection of lots of interesting topics in my mind. Well, have you had problems with sleep or is your sleep been pretty good? I mean, I had like the typical issues. I mean, I guess one of the big inspirations was just going back to waking up for high school at like a time that's ridiculous to your circadian rhythm when you're a teenager. Like naturally, mm, yeah. when you become a teenager, your circadian rhythm shifts to be more of a night owl. And there's some interesting yep. reasons for that from an evolutionary perspective, like breaking away from the, the family and stuff. Um, and so I would like be a zombie in high school for sure. Um, yeah. And, I, I, you know, I would have the typical periodic issues falling asleep. Um, if I'm stressed out, especially running a startup can do that to you periodically, but n nothing, um, you know, outrageous. I was more interested in like just trying to optimize as much as possible. Well, over time, how much better has your sleep gotten? Like how much have you been able to optimize it? I mean, the biggest thing for me has been no, has been allowing myself to sleep as much as I need to sleep. Um, mm. so frankly, you know, I've come to realize that I really typically need to spend at least eight and a half hours of time in bed to get a healthy amount of sleep. And this whole question of sleep need 
is something that's really important for people to understand. Everyone has sort of a little bit of a different sleep need. Um, you know, the, um, the academics have put out a report saying that adults need on average um, a minimum of seven hours every night, but it could be as much as nine hours a night. Um, and, mm. But to actually get that amount, you have to spend a little bit more time in bed than that because you, you don't spend, if you spend 100% of your time in bed asleep, you're probably um, not sleeping enough because um, you're too tired. So, so getting the sleep amount is one thing. And then the other big part of this is it's not just um, quantity, but it's also quality. And really nailing that quality aspect is the focus of our research um, that we do with NIH funding out of Penn State, um, through Penn State and uh, NSF funding, um, where we're actually trying to create ideal sound, light, and temperature environments, because you actually have an ideal um, environment for those things um, based on your sleep stages and like the time of the night and stuff like this. And what we've really focused on first and foremost first and foremost in our studies is actually using sound to try to make people sleep more regenerative. Um, and we do that in a couple of ways. Um, first off, we block out noise pollution. So this is a really surprising finding that I saw. Like when you look at someone's brains in a lab, you'd be surprised yeah. at, um, it's kind of a magical thing actually, when you see someone like shifting between the sleep cycles. Um, but you'd be surprised, like things as innocuous as an air conditioning turning on will actually wake up your brain. Um, and mm. even a healthy sleeper will have like up to like 20 of the, or like even more than that, 20 to 40 brain arousals through the night. If you have like sleep apnea, you can get like 60 an hour. Um, and that's shown to take off like five years on your life expectancy and stuff like this. Um, well, when you say so uh, what, what is a what is a what is a brain arousal? So, like, you know, give me an example. So, I'm in, I don't know, let's say I'm in the the dreaming stage of sleep, and the air conditioner kicks on or something. What happens to me? Yeah. So, you basically, if you um, wake up um, for like um, like a minute or less, but there's a difference between a waking up and arousal. Um, right. That's what I wanted to know. Right. What's an arousal like? Do I have to wake up? Uh, for it to be considered an arousal, or does it can it just take me out of one stage of sleep and put me into a different one, you a can, lighter one? So it, it can do lots of different things. Um, so you can have a brain arousal and actually stay in the same stage of sleep, or you can have a brain arousal and transition to another thing. Basically, it's not healthy. Um, it's just like uh, you can we, you can see it in like the heart rate variability goes up, um, and the if you look at like the EEG brain waves it like shifts out of a different, uh, it can shift out of like a different state intermittently. Um, and they usually last for like a brief period of time. Like a typical cortical arousal is usually something like two to four seconds. Um, and we actually have developed software on the Apple Watch that can um, detect these. And our, our algorithm that we're um, validating some scientific papers on in a publication um, has, we've actually validated that it's more accurate than like Fitbit and all these other things um, and all these other uh, algorithms out there on the market. Uh, our, our thing is we found that the device sensors are actually pretty good. So like we've used almost every wearable de uh, device on the market, Apple Watch, Fitbit, we like the Aura Ring, 
um, you know, Google Wear, and we've kind of built a hardware agnostic platform that takes all the data from these, you know, new Internet of Things devices, has a better algorithm because we have all these like scientifically, um, you know, well-controlled studies to build this thing. Um, and then um, has this algorithm that can predict the sleep in real time with any of these devices and then do X, Y, Z intervention to make it more regenerative. So one thing is like one of the surprising things we found is actually you can list, we'll literally play sounds at people like almost at the level of me screaming at them um, and we'll induce, the, induce their brains to wake up. And they'll have yeah. absolutely no conscious awareness of this. And we'll do this like hundreds of times throughout the night. And by doing this, we're able to understand the science of how sound can both negatively impact sleep and also enhance sleep. Um, so one of the things yeah, that... Uh, I can understand how it would negatively, you know, like, you know, my dog barks in the morning. I kind of maybe dimly aware of it. And then if he stops quick, then I go back to sleep. But how can it enhance sleep? Yeah, so that's a good question. So first off, the first, the first, to address the first thing and to stop the disruption, we basically round out sounds with an, a, with an adaptable pink noise machine that measures the sound in your environment and then gradually ramps up the sound so it's less disruptive. So that's, that's the first way to try to improve the quality. This, the question that you just asked is like one of the sexiest things going on in the literature right now. Um, and this is what inspired our grant research, which is basically this finding that you can place sounds at the same burst frequency as your deep sleep brain waves. They're called delta waves um, mm. and actually induce um, these regenerative brain waves. Um, so as you might know, like, you know, most people are aware that oh, essentially okay. you have like three states, like it, it's a little there's some nuance to it, but there's essentially there's light sleep, deep sleep, and REM, and you cycle between these um, sleep patterns throughout the night. You usually get like four to five of these cycles throughout the night. It goes light sleep, deep sleep, light sleep, REM. Um, and you get, the more deep sleep you get, like it's responsible for human growth hormone, memory recovery, like um, uh, beta, like beta, like uh, amyloid plaques, like associated with like Alzheimer's, like deep sleep right. stuff to clean out these things. Um, can you induce? Can you induce this with sound? So this is the sexy thing in the literature. Is like in 2013, this lab out of Germany showed that you can actually induce this with sound. Um, That's awesome. And it's it's the same theoretical process as if you're familiar with transcranial direct current stimulation. Um, uh huh. Basically, like there's there's like software like Halo or there's hardware like Halo Neuroscience and stuff like this where you zap your brain with like a low dosage of electricity and it can actually like prime you to do different tasks better. Um, I'm not a big fan of wearing a head mask or like something on your head while you sleep. Uh, I think it can right. do more harm than good a lot of times. So when and so that was with electricity, but essentially, you know, the auditory cortex picks up sound and translates it into electricity. Um, so what they found is through a similar process, you can induce these regenerative delta waves um, in a more non-invasive way, you know, just with sound instead of actually zapping somebody. That's cool. Can, can they do it um, to people that are awake or only asleep or asleep so only is, in a certain phase yeah, so this or is asleep hard, at a certain time? This is the hard part about the science is you have to do it 
at just the right time in a person's sleep and also at just the right sound pressure. So, you know, it's kind of like, I like the analogy of like trying to walk a tightrope. Um, so if you play the sound too loudly, um, you know, it's too much pressure, the rope snaps. If you play it too softly, the brain doesn't respond. There's too much slack. You can't um, walk across the tightrope. We're, we're sort of navigating this, um, this area where we play the sound so that the brain responds but we don't play it too loud such that we push you into an arousal. Is it, is it loud? Is it like the decibel level or is there a ramp up? I mean, it's, it, I would guess you can play the sound in many different ways. You know, you can have, is the sound uh, played by an instrument or is it just yeah. a single, so, you know, does it have different timber that works better? Does it ramp up or down? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, yeah, of, there's a lot this, to it, I would think. This is an interesting question. I mean, you hit the nail on the head with the ramp ups. Um, thing. So the way that we do it um, is we'll very gradually ramp it up and people actually have different arousal thresholds, um, but Mm. the thresholds are actually pretty consistent um, over time. So basically we'll gradually ramp it up, figure out what your arousal threshold is, and then always play it just below your individualized arousal threshold. Basically, we need an, you need an Apple Watch. Our first form factor is on an Apple Watch because a lot of the tests, we, heart rate variability is one of the main variables that we do to be able to create the system. Um, and then it works on basically any external, it can work on the iPhone, just the speakers on the iPhone, or any external speaker. Like, like we're imagining a future, and it's already right. here almost, where you know the Alexas, the uh, HomePods, all these like smart speaker devices are in your bedroom and our system works with basically any Bluetooth speaker. Um, you know, you don't even necessarily have to have the, some people don't want the phone in bed, which uh, like near the bed. Um, so you could, it could actually work with the phone outside of the room as well. Um, what is the sound? Is it like, wom, wom, or what does it sound like? Yeah. So it's, and that, so the quality of the sound is one of the main things that we've explored in our research. And we've like manipulated a bunch of factors when it comes to that. The main thing to get the effect is the pulse rate. Um, and I actually, I gave a TED talk about it that um, your view, you and your viewers can check out where I actually play the sound. Um, it's basically, sure. it's all the pulse rate and it's at um, 0.8 hertz. So it's like click, click. I'm, 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 it's something like that, like a little less than one a second. Um, sounds like a click or it sounds like a, what, what does it well, sound it's like? like a, it's actually like, I, when I was saying the click, I was, it's like a whoosh, whoosh. Oh, okay, whoosh. okay. Yeah. It's kind of like ocean waves and some of the scientific, trying to understand some of the scientific mechanism around this, it's kind of out there a little bit, but it's at like a similar, a similar rate and as like, the heartbeat when you're in the womb, which is kind of an interesting idea. Like we were literally mm-hmm. exposed to this womb-like environment for, you know, nine months of our lives. Um, and I think there's something to, and that's when we were like cre- being created and, you know, all of our cells were generating. And I think there's something to um, certain, like, uh, I have no scientific evidence for this really. It's just a hypothesis for why this is working. Um, I think there might be something to like the womb environment that um, 
and we're trying to create like these comforting womb environments for people by analogy. Um, we call it like a sleep cocoon. I, I think there's something to that to actually make your brain function better um, over the night and, you know, next day cognitive performance is something we're interested in. No, it makes sense. I'm, I'm very auditory. So, you know, I've used like ocean sounds to go to sleep and I've it's gone similar to, to ocean sounds. It's very similar to ocean sounds. Well, what I can tell you just personally is that certain sounds are like, you know, I've had the batteries go out on my smoke detector and it goes, meep. And no matter how fast or slow that thing happens, it's super disruptive. It's horrible. Like I ripped that right. wall. But then again, if I hear ocean sounds and it's the right sound for me, then it helps me sleep. You know, like maybe rain sounds don't work for me, but ocean sounds do. So the nature and the timber and the type of sound I would bet is super important to making this work. Yeah. Out of all those variables, like we've systematically manipulated like pitch and all this stuff too. Um, yeah. And like the, like how frequently you play this, the frequency and stuff like this. The, the main driving factor is the abruptness of the sound. Um, like we, we played like this song, like IV, we played like an IV alarm and like that's really disruptive because it's so like on, off, on, off. Um, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it builds slowly, like like an ocean wave goes, and then it fades. So it's, there's a build, a crescendo, and then it goes down instead of just like a meat, exactly. you know, like a blip. So it makes sense. Okay. So, so that's um, just kind of part you know, of it. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, we've, we've gone into this for a while, but I, I wanted to make sure we get to your app, the Sonic Sleep Coach. Tell me about that. What does it do and how does it work? So I basically, we have this vision that in the next, um, you know, three to five years, you're going to go to your doctor and instead of them giving you some uh, sleep medicine or some drug that has all these side effects and literally has never been validated for long-term use, like um, like drugs like Ambien, there's no clinical trials showing that they're efficacious in the long term. It's like useful yeah. for like if you have like a periodic issue or like you're going through jet lag or something. But these doctors are prescribing it because they basically have no time. They have no other recourse. Um, and so like the big picture for what we're trying to do is create a software platform that uses the best Internet of Things devices out there manipulate sound, light, and temperature, and actually get better effect sizes than a lot of these drugs without any of the negative consequences. Um, and so we have real-time interventions during sleep. We collect all the data, accurately figure out what's going on with the person's sleep, and then de deliver personalized cognitive behavioral therapy to them that gets at like the root cause of what's going on um, and how simple things they can do to improve their sleep. So your app is the CBTI part of it, or is it the sound, temperature, all that recommendation part of it? I guess I would call it the stage and setting aspects, you know, sound, temperature, light, and all that versus the psychological aspect. You yeah, know, so it uh, kind yes, of does both of those. Sleep. Don't worry. It does both of those things. Um, okay. So like the current app on the store, and we're re releasing it on Android in like two weeks, too. It's currently just on um, iPhone. Um, right and iPod Touch, iPad, whatever. Um, but that just mainly uses the real-time deep sleep stimulation stuff, um, and it blocks out noise pollution, and we actually wake you up the right way, which is very gradually, if anyone uses, like, an alarm clock. Um, the right way to wake up with an alarm is, like, it ramping up very gradually over 10 minutes, 
So you wake up, you're less likely to like wake up in a bad sleep cycle and stuff like this. And then once we yeah, have all lamps, the data, lamps that do that, then they slowly start glowing brighter and brighter and brighter to help wake you up the right way too. Like you said. yeah, that's the right way to wake up, and like it's on our product's roadmap to integrate with like cool. Philip Pugh. And there's this other thing called uh, LifeX, L-I-F-X. It's another one of these lamps. Um, and one of the big interventions that I give to people is actually these, because uh, I do like hundreds of sleep consultations with people, and I've learned a lot from that. And oh. one of the main bits of feedback that anyone can do to improve their sleep is just making sure they get light exposure for 30 minutes um, before 12, before noon. Um, and they have these like sad lamps that, it, that you, if you expose yourself to like 10,000 lux, um, you know, you have to stand close to the lamp, but like I do it while I'm eating breakfast and it basically entrenches your circadian rhythm and makes your sleep quality better at night. Yeah. I've used those too. It's like a super bright, um, lamp and you kind of, I would sit there with my eyes closed, close to it for a few minutes and just relax. And it's uh, yeah, you're right. It sets your circadian rhythm. If you can't get out yeah, to the sun and like hang out there. For in the Midwest right now, like people are not going outside, you know? So might as well right. have one of these uh, things that emulates the sun. That makes a lot of sense. Okay. So the Sonic Sleep Coach is available for iOS. Um, how long does it take for the recommendations to start coming? Like how many nights of sleep does it need to observe? And, you know, what's the onboarding process for it? Yeah, it's a great question. So from what we've seen in the scientific literature, there's actually a, a, a lot of individual differences between people. And that's one of the problems that a lot of these like companies, I think, have is like the Fitbits of the world don't have individualized models that give you feedback on your sleep. It's all population based. You know, it's not like adjusting that much based on your unique sleep situation. And what we've found and what other people have published is that after like five days of data, we can get a very accurate assessment of what's going on uniquely with your sleep. Um, so basically, we try to motivate like five days of data collection, um, and then we deliver these personalized interventions. So we have certain things that we can deliver just based on like one night of sleep too. Okay, that's cool. And what have you noticed, you know, if, you, if there's a Pareto of the most effective to least effective are there a few different things that seem to be most effective right away that help people? So, I mean, it's one of the big things just to start out with is like, and I think the hard part about this problem is that everyone is very different. You know, like if I'm talking to someone who is an insomniac and, um, you know, has maybe some anxiety and stress that's causing that, it's very different feedback than someone who falls to sleep fine, but um, isn't feeling regenerative, regenerative from it and is sleeping like a lot. Um, and that's also different, you know, from someone that has a, um, you know, if you have a brain injury, oftentimes it negatively impacts your sleep quality. Or if you're going through like, um, you know, menopause or something like that, you know, there, then there's more like temperature interventions and stuff like this. So one of the big takeaways is versus someone who's like, just like a professional athlete and is trying to optimize. Um, so, so those are like some of the main categories that I've stumbled across, and I'll give very different feedback based on those categories. Um, that being said, I can give you like three to five very common bits of feedback right now if you're curious. Okay, yeah, please, yes. 
Um, so, I mean, first off, I was driving at this a little bit before, um, you know, there's a lot of literature or media attention about not getting the blue light at night. Um, and that's true. And there's various things you can do to make sure that you don't get that blue light. Like there's these glasses, like true dark you can wear, um, that creates red light. So everything you see is red, basically there's like flux, um, which changes like the screen, uh, your screen. Um, so it's more red light. But the big thing that people don't talk about is getting that sunlight exposure for at least 30 minutes when you wake up in the morning. And it's one of the, you know, you know, sunlight is basically like one of the first drugs ever created. Um, and it controls this whole melatonin system um, and the circadian rhythm. And so that's like one of the easiest low side effect things that you can do to improve your sleep quality. The other is probably simply blocking out noise pollution um, with like a sound mask, like what we have with the pink noise. But, you know, there's a ton of these out there. We think ours is a little bit better because it measures the environment and adjusts based on that. Um, so those are two big things. Um, another big one is for me, um, well, first off, I try to have a very regular bedtime. Um, and that's the more regular your bedtime is, um, and the more entrenched your circadian rhythm is, the better your sleep quality is going to be. And in sleep science, this is known as like, um, you you have these external cues called Zeitgebers. Um, it's basically a German word for timekeeper. And the biggest bite gaber, as I was alluding to before, is sunlight, but it's also things like the timing of meals, exercise, um, even when you, if you socialize late at night, it can throw it off. So like trying to regularize those things as much as possible is a way that's going to naturally improve your sleep quality. Um, it makes sense. What, what happens if uh, you see someone stack two, three, four, five different interventions, like you know, what does the sleep quality look like if you do one thing versus two, three, four, five things? Does it, you know, get a lot better quickly and then level off or what have you observed? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to give like a, I mean, I think the more of these positive behavioral things you do, the better. It's hard to, you know, everyone's a little bit different, so it's hard to give a precise quantification. Um, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is as we get older, a lot of this has to do with like age too. Um, you naturally get less deep sleep when you get older. And there's some evidence. I noticed. That, I noticed. Yeah, right. So like when you're in your 20s, you spend about 20% of your time in deep sleep. And the, by the time you're 80, you spend about 7.5% of your time in deep sleep. Um, so part of our AI, what it does is it actually gives you a sleep age, um, which is a score based on like how much deep sleep you're getting and all these uh, and a couple other variables um, based on like your population data. So one of the things about this is like, since everyone's a little bit different, it's nice to be able to try things and see how they work and then get feedback on whether or not you're improving your sleep age. Um, and that, that's kind of what we're trying to do is empower people to see how the things that they're changing in their behaviors can improve their, uh, you know, this regenerative process. Well, very good. Um, do you know uh, anything about the sleep physiology? You know, I guess we talked about it somewhat, but I, I had a couple of questions that I wanted to ask. Like, <clears throat> do all the cells of your body, quote unquote, go into a sleep mode or sleep when you fall asleep? Or is it just your brain cells? Or, you know, do you know anything about that aspect of it? Yeah. I mean, from uh, one of the most interesting things about all this, is how the circadian rhythm was created. And basically, first off, every organism on the planet in one way or another to point at the importance of this. And also every 
cell in your body um, or like in some way responds to like a circadian rhythm and actually like your different organisms, I mean, your different organs, you have like a main circadian rhythm and then your different organs also have their own like secondary rhythms as well. Um, and so the, the reason for this is basically because we evolved from bacteria in the ocean that could differentiate sunlight from darkness. And um, the bacteria that could differentiate sunlight eventually forms like the human, like the, an eye, which eventually formed like the human eye and, you know, life as we know it. Um, and so basically you have these photoreceptors in your eye um, that are sensitive to sunlight, which send a signal to a part of your brain called the suprachiasmatic nucleus, um, which inhibits melatonin when sunlight is detected. And then that sets your circadian rhythm, which impacts like uh, your energy level throughout your whole body. And then at the same time, every organ, and I'm, I'm learning more about this now, like my professor that I work with knows a lot more about it than me. Um, every organ, like your liver also has its own rhythm and it can either like be in whack or out of whack with your circadian and stuff like this. So it gets pretty complicated if that's... Uh, okay. that, answers your question at all yeah that's very interesting um you know last last question to any uh i mean you've already given some interesting insights but any other insights you've learned that have shocked you or really curious or surprising about sleep yeah i mean one of the big things is like how different people are um and you know if you look at someone's brain waves like you know it can be one person's sleep can be very different from another's and also simply how much sound can disrupt people's sleep. I think it's something that, you know, one of the hard things that people face when dealing with this, trying to improve their sleep, is it's not like exercise where when you see something that's not working, you can consciously observe it. Like you're unconscious during this process. Um, so you don't know when things like noises in your environment are disrupting you. Um, and I think it happens more often than people realize. Um, so that's, that's a surprising thing. Also just seeing the sounds, like when I look at the, when we look at the EEG, you can literally see the delta waves being produced by the sound. And that, I mean, when I actually first saw that, I was kind of blown away by it. Um, other things that surprised me, I mean, one of the big things that surprised me, honestly, is that just the medical field so sort of balkanized, like divided on treatments for sleep. Like if you have a problem with sleeping, there's literally seven different types of doctors that you might go to. I mean, it's like sure. a pulmonologist, a neurologist, a pediatrician, a psychologist, a psychiatrist, even a dentist can play a role in this problem with these, some of these mouth apnea. So just seeing kind of how, and sort of a lot of times they're peddling their own stuff. Um, and I think that, you know, it's what, what really needs to be happen and what we're trying to do, but hopefully someone will do it even if we don't do it, is there needs to be like a holistic solution that can kind of bring all of these specialties together somehow. Well, that would probably come from observing someone sleeping or not sleeping and then diagnosing, you know, knowing, okay, I, you know, I, I don't have just one hammer to solve this problem. I can look at it in eight different ways and, you know, recommend exactly what I think is really wrong and not just, oh, I only can prescribe pills, so that's all I'm going to do. You know, so I'm that's aware exactly of CBTI right. and pills, 
and this, and then, you know, then I can give you actually what you really need, you know? That's exactly right. Yeah. Everyone has their whole hammer, their own hammer that they're trying to pound. We, we want like lots of different hammers. Like this, usually when someone has a sleep problem, there's like three or four factors driving the issue. Um, it's usually not just one thing. Um, like, for example, if you have apnea, a lot of times you have bad sleep quality, which makes you like maybe have other bad habits, like napping too much during the day, which then further hinders the sleep quality. So, you know, you want to kind of attack, attack some of these problems from like a multifaceted approach. Makes sense. Well, very good. So where can people find out more and interact with you and get the Sonic Sleep Coach uh, app? Yes. I mean, um, I'm pretty Googleable. If you just Google Dan Gartenberg, you can check out my TED Talk where I kind of delve into the science a little bit more. And yeah, we're updating the website right now. It's sonicsleepcoach.com. I, I do uh, some one-on-one coaching with people um, where we, we go through everything that's going on with them and try to get at the heart of the issue. We have like three to six customized bits of feedback for them to try to help. Okay, very good. Well, Daniel, thanks for coming on the podcast and I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Anytime. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now and the companies that are using these technologies for the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, Please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you.